Chapter 2 of Daring Deeds of Famous Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Daring Deeds of Famous Pirates by Edward Kebble Chatterton. Chapter 2 The North Sea Pirates. I am anxious to emphasize the fact that piracy is nearly as old as the ship herself. It is extremely improbable that the Egyptians were ever pirates, for the reason that, excepting the expedition to punt, they confined their navigation practically to the Nile only. But as soon as men built sea-going vessels, then the instinct to rob and pillage on sea became as irresistible as on land. Might was right, and the weakest went to the bottom. Bearing this in mind, and remembering that there was always a good deal of trade from the continent up the Thames to London, especially in corn, and that there was considerable traffic between Gaul and Britain across the English Channel, it was but natural that the sea rovers of the north should exist no less than in the south. After Rome had occupied Britain, she established a navy which she called the Classis Britannica, and it cannot have failed to be effective in policing the narrow seas and protecting commerce from wandering corsairs. We know very well that after Rome had evacuated Britain, and there was no navy to protect our shores, came the Angles and Saxons and Jutes. We may permissibly regard these Northmen, who pillaged and plundered till the time of William the Conqueror and after, as pirates, in the sense that a pirate is one who not merely commits robbery on the high seas, but also makes descents on the coast for the purpose of pillage, we may call the Viking seamen pirates. But strictly speaking, they were a great deal more than this, and the object of this book is concerned rather with the incidents of the sea than the incursions into the land. Although the Vikings did certainly commit piracy both in their own waters and off the coast of Britain, yet their depredations in this respect, even if we could obtain adequate information thereof, would sink into insignificance before their greater conquests. For a race of men who first swooped down onto a strange coast, vanquished the inhabitants, and then settled down to live among them, are rather different from a body of men who lie in wait to capture ships as they proceed on their voyages. The growth of piracy in English waters certainly owed much to the sink ports. In these havens dwelt a privileged class of seamen, who certainly for centuries were a very much favored community. It was their privilege to do that which in the Mediterranean Cicero had regarded with so much disfavor. These men of the Cinque Ports, according to Matthew of Paris, were commissioned to plunder as they pleased all the merchant ships as they passed up and down the English Channel. This was to be without any regard to nationality, with the exception that English ships were not to be molested. But French, Genoese, Venetian, Spanish, or any others 
could be attacked at the will of the sink port seamen. Some persons might call this sort of thing by the title of privateering, yet it was really piracy and nothing else. You can readily imagine that with this impetus thus given to a class of men who were not particularly prone to lawfulness, the practice of piracy on the waters that washed Great Britain grew at a great rate. Thus, in the 13th century, the French, the Scotch, Irish, and Welsh fitted out ships, hung about the narrow seas till they were able to capture a well-laden merchantman as their fat reward. So before long, the English Channel was swarming with pirates, and during the reign of Henry III, their numbers grew to an alarming extent. The net result was that it was a grave risk for commodities to be brought across the Channel, and so, therefore, the price of these goods rose. The only means of remedy was to increase the English fleet, and this at length was done in order to cope with the evil. But matters were scarcely better in the North Sea, and English merchant ships sailed in perpetual fear of capture. During the Middle Ages, pirates were always hovering about for any likely ship, and the wool trade especially was interfered with. Matters became somewhat complicated when, as happened in the reign of Edward II, peaceable English ships were arrested by Norway for having been suspected, erroneously, of slaughtering a Norwegian knight, whereas the latter had been actually put to death by pirates. We marvel not a little, wrote Edward II, in complaint to Aquinas, king of Norway, and are much disquieted in our cogitations, considering the grievances and oppressions which, as we have been informed by pitiful complaints, are at this present, more than in times past, without any reasonable cause inflicted upon our subjects, which do usually resort unto your kingdom for traffic's sake. For the fact was that one nation was as bad as the other, but that whenever the one had suffered, then the other would lay violent hands on a ship that was merely suspected of having acted piratically. Angered at the loss to their own countrymen, they were prompted by revenge on alien seamen found in their own waters and even lying quietly in their own havens with their cargoes of herrings. As an attempt to make the North Sea more possible for the innocent trading ships, the kings of England at different dates came to treaties with those in authority on the other side. Richard II, for example, made an agreement with the King of Prussia. In 1403, full restitution and recompense were demanded by the Chancellor of England from the Master General of Prussia for the sundry piracies and molestations offered of late upon the sea. Henry IV, writing to the Prussian Master General, admitted that as well our as your merchants have, by occasion of pirates roving up and down the sea, sustained grievous loss. Finally, it was agreed that all English merchant ships should be allowed liberty to enter Prussian ports without molestation. 
but it was further decided that if in the future any prussian cargoes should be captured on the north sea by english pirates and this merchandise taken into an english port then the harbor master or governor was if he suspected piracy to have these goods promptly taken out of the english ship and placed in safe keeping between henry the fourth and the hanseatic towns a similar agreement was also made which bound the cities of lubeck bremen hamburg sund and greifswald that convenient just and reasonable satisfaction and recompense might be made unto the injured and endamaged parties for all injuries damages grievances and drownings or manslaughters done and committed by the pirates in the narrow seas it would be futile to weary the reader with a complete list of all these piratical attacks but a few of them may here be instanced about easter time in the year thirteen ninety four a hanseatic ship was hovering about the north sea when she fell in with an english merchantman from newcastle on tyne the latter's name was the godazir and belonged to a quartet of owners she was for those days quite a big craft having a burden of two hundred tons her value together with that of her sails and tackle amounted to the sum of four hundred pounds she was loaded with a cargo of woolen cloth and red wine being bound for prussia the value of this cargo plus some gold and certain sums of money found aboard aggregated two hundred marks the hanseatic ship was able to overpower the godazir slew two of her crew captured ship and contents and imprisoned the rest of the crew for the space of three whole years a hull craft belonging to one richard horace and named the shipper berlin of prussia was in the same year also attacked and robbed by hanseatic pirates goods to the value of one hundred and sixty nobles being taken away the following year a ship named the john tutbury was attacked by hanseatics when off the coast of norway and goods consisting of wax and other commodities to the value of four hundred and seventy six nobles were captured a year later and pirates of the same federation captured a ship belonging to william terry of hull called the cog with thirty woolen broadcloths and a thousand narrow cloths to the value of two hundred pounds in thirteen ninety eight the trinity of hull laden with wax oil and other goods was captured by the same class of men off norway dutch ships merchant craft from the port of london fishing vessels prussian traders zealand yarmouth and other ships were constantly being attacked pillaged and captured in the month of september of the year thirteen ninety eight a number of hanseatic pirates waylaid a prussian ship whose skipper was named rorbeck she carried a valuable cargo of woolen cloth which was the property of various merchants in colchester this the pirates took away with them together with five englishmen whom they found on board 
the latter they thrust into prison as soon as they got them ashore and of these two were ransomed subsequently for the sum of twenty english nobles while another became blind owing to the rigors of his imprisonment in thirteen ninety four another prussian ship containing a number of merchants from yarmouth and norwich was also captured off the norwegian coast with a cargo of woolen goods and taken off by the hanseatic pirates the merchants were cast into prison and not allowed their liberty until the sum of one hundred marks had been paid for their ransom another vessel laden with the hides of oxen and sheep with butter masts and spars and other commodities to the value of one hundred marks was taken in long sound norway in june thirteen ninety five another english ship laden with salt fish was taken off the coast of denmark the value of her hull inventory and cargo amounting to one hundred and seventy pounds the crew consisted of a master and twenty-five mariners whom the pirates slew there was also a lad found on board and him they carried into wismar with them the most notorious of these hanseatic pirates were two men named respectively godkins and sturtebecker whose efforts were as untiring as they were successful there is scarcely an instance of north sea piracy at this time in which these two men or their accomplices do not figure and it was these same men who attacked a ship named the dogger the latter was skippered by a man named gervase cat and she was lying at anchor while her crew were engaged fishing the hanseatic pirates however swept down on them took away with them a valuable cargo of fish beat and wounded the master and crew of the dogger and caused the latter to lose their fishing for that year being endamaged thereby to the sum of two hundred nobles in the year fourteen o two other hanseatic corsairs while cruising about near plymouth captured a yarmouth barge named the michael the master of which was one robert rigways she had a cargo of salt and a thousand canvas cloths the ship and goods being captured the owner a man named hugh of fenn complained that he was the loser to the extent of eight hundred nobles and the master and mariners assessed the loss of wages canvas and armor at two hundred nobles but there was no end to the daring of these corsairs of the north in the spring of thirteen ninety four they proceeded with a large fleet of ships to the town of norburn in norway and having taken the place by assault they captured all the merchants therein together with their goods and cattle burnt their houses and put their persons up to ransom twenty-one houses to the value of four hundred and forty nobles were destroyed and goods to the value of one thousand eight hundred and fifteen pounds were taken from the merchants with all this lawlessness on the sea and the consequent injury to overseas commerce it was none too soon that henry the fourth took steps to put down a most serious evil we cannot but feel sorry for the long-suffering north sea fishermen who in addition to having to ride out bad weather in clumsy leaky craft and having to work very hard for their living 
were liable at any time to see a pirate ship approaching them over the top of the waves. You remember the famous Dogger Bank incident a few years ago when one night the North Sea trawlers found themselves being shelled by the Russian Baltic fleet. Well, in much the same way were the medieval ancestors of these hardy fishermen surprised by pirates when least expecting them and when most busily occupied in pursuing their legitimate calling. The fisherman was like a magnet to the pirates because his catch of fish had only to be taken to the nearest port and sold. That was the reason why, in 1295, Edward had been induced to send three ships of Yarmouth across the North Sea to protect the herring ships off Holland and Zealand. The following incident well illustrates the statement that, in spite of all the efforts which were made to repress piracy, yet it was almost impossible to attain such an object. The month is July and the year 1327, the scene being the English Channel. Picture to your mind a beamy, big-bellied, clumsy ship with one mast and one great square sail. She has come from Waterford in Ireland, where she has taken on board a rich cargo, consisting of wool, hides, and general merchandise. She has safely crossed the turbulent Irish Sea. She has wallowed her way through the Atlantic swell around Land's End and found herself making good headway up the English Channel in the summer breeze. Her port of destination is Bruges, but she will never get there. For from the eastward have come the famous pirates of the Cinque Ports, and off the Isle of Wight they fall in with a merchant ship. The rovers soon sight her, come up alongside, board her, and relieve her of forty-two sacks of wool, twelve dickers of hides, three pipes of salmon, two pipes of cheese, one bale of cloth, to say nothing of such valuable articles as silver plate, mazer cups, jewels, sparrow hawks, and other goods of the total value of six hundred pounds. Presently, the pirates bring their spoil into the downs below Sandwich and dispose of it as they prefer. End of chapter 2